Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Ariane Missimer from the Movement Paradigm to be discussing how she implements a functional medicine approach to her physical rehabilitation. Now, it's important to note that Dr. Missimer is also a registered dietitian and functional medicine provider. However, she gives advice in this episode for anyone, whether you're a strength coach, a chiropractor, a physical therapist, or whatever your background is. Before we get to this episode, though, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Dr. Missimer, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for me, for having me. I appreciate it. For people who haven't heard of you and the movement paradigm and all the incredible things that you're doing day in and day out, would you mind filling us in a little bit about who you are and what you've done? Sure, absolutely. So I uh, own the Movement Paradigm. That's an integrative health center in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. And I practice functional medicine and I'm a doctor of physical therapy and registered dietitian. Entire life and career focusing on learning about the human body and helping people the best way I can. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, a few things that you mentioned really stand out to me. One, you mentioned you're a doctor of physical therapy. And two, you mentioned you're a functional medicine provider. If people aren't familiar with what functional medicine is and how you might incorporate functional medicine into physical therapy, would you mind explaining a little bit about that? Yes. So functional medicine is essentially a whole person approach to health and wellness. So oftentimes when we think about physical therapy, a lot of times it can be more reactive and we have an injury, you go to PT, you're fixing the shoulder. But when you think of it from a functional medicine approach, you're really looking beyond just the obvious, perhaps in, in this case, a musculoskeletal injury, but looking to see what stressors someone might have what types of foods that they're eating that might be driving inflammation for them, you know, what types of things are happening in their nervous system, the relationships they have. So really being able to look at all the systems in the body and how they work together, and then looking at how all of the, their lifestyle and modifiable lifestyle factors are dialing into their current health or condition or injury or whatever it might be. You mean to tell me that modern medicine doesn't do this for people? Really? <laughs> Wow, I'm shocked. Um, no, you bring up a great point that it is less about the reactivity and more about the proactivity of things. How can I prevent issues from coming up in five years, 10 years, 20 years time from now? And I think that's an area that people often miss and forget about, or, you know, they stop and say, well, you know, this patient's insurance company won't cover it. So I can't go that route. When in reality, if you want to do it, you could probably find a way to make it happen. You're, you surely have. Right. And, and ultimately, I think, especially as it relates to physical therapy and just overall wellness is really trying to identify the root causes of why something happened in the first place. I've always practiced that way as a physical therapist is, you know, okay, we're not just treating the knee or a shoulder. We're really trying to figure out what patterns of movement have been, you've been doing for years and years and years that have been contributing to this. And so that's really from a functional medicine aspect is just taking that a whole lot farther. <laughs> You mentioned too, that it could be an issue that's been around for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of people lately are coming to me with what they're called like chronic aches and pains that have been going on for years and years and years. Lately, I've had people coming in a lot of postural dysfunction. They're saying, yeah, you know, ever since COVID happened, I've been sitting at home a lot more. I haven't really been doing much. And now my back hurts, my neck hurts. I get headaches all the time and that sort of thing. And every time I just kind of internally shake my head a little bit, like 
this could have been prevented for the majority of cases mm -hmm. had we talked about the importance of posture and overall movement about two, three years ago. Absolutely. And, and a lot of other things, like, especially with this, the pandemic, all of the stressors that people have been experiencing and are creating dysregulation in their nervous system, especially the vagus nerve, which I know you spoke <laughs> to Liz about, uh, but also just, you know, in terms of that's affecting their breathing pattern, which therefore contributes to posture because you can't separate posture from breathing. So like you said, just kind of taking that and, and looking deeper and deeper and deeper into how this pattern has evolved for this patient. Exactly. And there's plenty of research that shows a correlation between uh, breathing dysfunction and dysfunctional breathing patterns and recruitment and that sort of thing and back pain. Mm -hmm. Now, again, chicken or egg situation, right? Maybe the back pain caused the breathing to change or maybe the breathing changed and caused the back pain. Whichever mm -hmm. it is, we want to get to the root cause of it. You mentioned before that you do a lot of systemic type stuff. You're a registered dietitian and you look at the whole person. I'm curious for the person in chronic pain, what kind of things do you look at? What kind of things do you recommend? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of that involves the assessment and we do a really, really thorough evaluation and, and patient history. So looking at everything from the basics of you know, how are they moving? How are they sleeping? How are they eating to how many antibiotics have they had? What types of, of course, surgeries and injuries have they had? Were they breastfed or bottle fed? You know, what are the things that are, have contributed to stressors for them and how do they rate their stress is finances the highest is uh, relationships, the highest, are they able to have sex or they don't have a good relationship? What are their hormones like? So really taking a very, very detailed intake uh, with their, about their entire life. <laughs> and then from a person that is experiencing chronic pain, that is really the most important aspect because sometimes, yes, it is. There's always going to be a movement component as we both know. So I never ignore that. And just because someone is experiencing chronic pain, which might mean that their brain is, is sensing, they have more of a hypersensitivity for, you know, whoever's listening that they could have an increased pain signal. Even if that's the case, they still probably have some movement issues because they've adapted, they've compensated. So I really try to take all of those things together. So what are their modifiable lifestyle factors that are attributing to their chronic pain? Is stress the biggest thing that might be jumping out to me? And so if it, it is that, which it always is that, <laughs> uh, just, just to add that in, um, you know, first one person I might say, let's start by walking five minutes day or another person, I might say, why don't you try just doing leisurely reading at night before you go to bed? Another person, I might say, let's try to add breath work in throughout the day, um, repair a relationship, or of course, refer to someone. But then a lot of times there is a huge inflammatory component to someone that has chronic pain. And that takes a little bit more investigation, but for the average person, I'm looking at, I try to identify five different categories of triggers. And so it could be food, bugs, toxins, trauma, or hormones. And that's of course, within those, there's a lot of different aspects to all of them, but that at least helps me to organize for someone what might be their drivers. And then I might tackle one at a time. So I might say, okay, it looks like for you, there's a possibility that these foods that you're eating on a regular basis could be inflammatory for you. So let's take the time to explore them and do a modified elimination diet or an elimination diet and be able to assess.
And those five things that you laid out just a second ago, a lot of them interconnect and overlap, right? So if someone has a past history of trauma in a relationship, well, guess what? That's probably going to impact their hormonal levels and probably going to impact their openness and willingness to do things like get intimate with their partner, right? Like those things are not siloed off individually. They interconnect with one another. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then with that, looking at in their body, how are all their systems functioning? So how well are they digesting and assimilating their food? How are they eliminating and detoxifying? Um, how is their immune system? How is their communication system? So their hormone system. So looking at all of those different systems and, you know, kind of where do things light up? Where do things, where do we have more things written under each category? And that kind of gives a good direction about what we might need to look for in terms of testing or blood work and labs, what we might need to address just from a, like a, like I said, a, a lifestyle factor. So a lot of times, you know, most people aren't getting enough sleep, not only not enough sleep, but not quality sleep. So although that is, we know is, I always say is more important than fitness or nutrition combined. Many people don't think that, and they just think, oh, I just can't sleep, but they have, they don't necessarily have good sleep hygiene. So somebody that has chronic pain that isn't sleeping, that is to me, a number one priority before I do anything else is we gotta, we gotta work on this. (laughs) So let's try to come up with a daily ritual, blue light blockers after 7 PM, you know, really trying to find what, what's realistic for them and, you know, work helping them with their own schedule or ritual, but really trying to optimize their sleep, the repair and restoration. Exactly, exactly. If sleep was a drug, then every sport, every major organization would ban it because of how beneficial it can be. Yep, that's a great way to say it. (laughs) I might steal that line. (laughs) (laughs) And earlier, you mentioned too, that you really try to find a thing that works for the patient sitting in front Mm -hmm. of you. And I can't echo the importance of that enough, because maybe the patient sitting in front of you isn't ready to add 15, 20 minutes of exercise to their day every single day. Maybe that'll make their condition worse instead of better. You really have to walk before you run and you have to understand that there's a dose response relationship to any advice, any intervention you give to the patient sitting in front of you, Mm kind of like the way we think about pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. I hate to make that comparison, but everyone understands that, you know, if I give just enough, I get the benefit I want. If I give too much, now I start to get side effects that I don't want. Mm-hmm. And understanding how much you give to someone can really make or break their overall uh, overall condition and overall how they, their outcome. Yeah. And if someone has had pain for 20, 30 years, then there's so much fear associated with that. So what may seem you know, a normal response to us exercising who someone who doesn't have pain would not be the same as someone who's experienced pain for 30 years because everything would be escalated. Everything would be heightened. And so I always think it's so important to be able to speak to just what you said is that slow, steady progression. Like it's easier to go from five minutes of walking to eight minutes of walking to 10 minutes of walking rather than start at 40 minutes, have tons of pain, and then feel frustrated that you can't do this anymore. So I 100% agree. It's a huge, huge aspect of making sure that you're moving people in a forward direction safely. And understanding the physiological changes that are going to come about from the chronic pain Mm -hmm. that's been there for 10, 20 years in some cases, right? There's a lot of research that supports that prolonged pain 
will mm. literally decrease the gray matter volume in the left, I believe it's the left side of the thalamus, uh, which is going to have a whole lot of implications on sensory and motor functions in the body. Right. So just the fact that this person has been in pain for so long is literally changing their brain, changing their thalamus. And if you don't account for and understand the impact that has long-term, then you're really missing the mark with the patient sitting in front of you. And just that was a perfect segue. So as it relates to chronic pain from a functional medicine standpoint is that it does affect your energy system. So your mitochondria. So as you said, it really affects, significantly affects your brain and how you're processing information. And so one of the things that I, I always try to address the inflammatory aspect first for people that are experiencing it, because I always feel like that's kind of that first line of defense of, okay, if they're eating gluten, dairy, corn, soy, and they're all, they're sensitive to all of them, or they have leaky gut, then that, that, that to me takes precedence over anything else. However, when you are it, it, when at, when possible going into more of a healthy ketogenic plan, which is often called a mitochondria plan in the functional medicine world can be really, really beneficial to someone who is experiencing chronic pain. It's a therapeutic food plan, not meant to be forever, but as it, as a way to kind of segue them into healthier uh, cells, ultimately that can be really, really beneficial. I completely agree. I mean, I think mitochondrial dysfunction and our overall energy system crisis, and I'm not talking about fossil fuels or solar energy or anything like that, but the fact that 88% of Americans are walking around with uh, unhealthy metabolic state, meaning their body's not processing what they eat correctly. And as a result, you have all kinds of systemic dysfunction that results. And I, I can't help but think about things like, you know, malnutrition and all these other issues that we're seeing in a extremely well-developed country. Like mm -hmm. we should not be seeing individuals malnourished in a country that has fully stocked grocery stores, mm -hmm. but clearly people aren't picking, you know, the right. pasture raised eggs and the grass fed organic meat in the grocery store. Right. And, and with, you know, in all fairness, not everyone can afford that and not right. everyone's able to do that. But I do think we are able to make better choices that are affordable for many people. And, you know, you can get frozen vegetables and they still maintain a good nutrient content. So there's ways to really address that. If you can't eat organic, that's okay too. For some people they can't, and, you know, and like I said, I don't, I try not to make that black or white for people. Um, but I think, as you said, you know, the, of course, in my setting, I, everyone I'm seeing has some type of digestive issue. They might not, pres they might not come in complaining of digestive issues, but they are complaining of systemic inflammation. So they have an autoimmune disease, they have chronic pain, they have, you know, some, some type of, of health condition that's warranting that they do have inflammation because 90% of all chronic disease is associated with that. So whether they are not digesting and assimilating everything and I, I, I'm going to say end or, but most often it's end, they're not getting enough nutrients in. So I'm always, you know, encouraging, I really like to try to encourage people to think about food as truly nourishment. It's information, it's communication. It's so many amazing things. It's social and trying to repair that relationship with food, because I think, especially if you do have digestive issues, 
it can really over time negatively influence your relationship with food and can become very disordered. Yeah, definitely. And to me, the things we're talking about are all what I'll call the bigger fish in the basket too. People know I love to go down my rabbit holes with different biohacks sometimes like red light (laughs) therapy and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the red light therapy isn't going to make or break your overall health if you're not eating right and you're not sleeping well. Yes. And that is what I try to promote all the time. And I love all those things too, Dan. (laughs) I do. I love all the things, but I do. I am always trying to help people. And hopefully even this podcast is an opportunity to do that is to just really look at all the, the basic things that we can do to make such drastic changes in our health. You know, just being able to sleep seven and a half hours a night versus seven hours a night, game changer to be able to have more deep sleep, you know, 10 minutes more deep sleep game changer. You know, there's just so many things that can make such a big difference that don't require a lot of work. And that's typically how I try to structure the sessions and my recommendations is it might be five things, but they're very small things. It might be something like breathe for one minute before you go to bed. And like that just gives them this opportunity. It it kind of fits into a lot of things. Like one, it's affecting their nervous system Two, It's a little bit of a ritual before they go to bed. So they're starting to work on sleep hygiene and they're, you know, kind of down regulating to hopefully help with sleep as well. So it might affect one thing might affect three or four things. And that's what I try to do with everybody because then they realize, Oh my gosh, this like this little thing makes such a huge difference in my pain or, you know, whatever they're coming in for. For people listening who are, you know, listening to this and they're thinking, okay, well, how can I go about implementing this into my practice? Or, you know, hey, I accept this insurance or that insurance. And, you know, they don't cover things. And I can't do what you could do in a cash based practice. Do you have any recommendations for people who want to work this into their practice and haven't found a way to do so yet? Sure do. So I worked in outpatient physical therapy for eight years. So I'm very familiar with the, with the, the busyness. <laughs> um, but here's what I will say is I think that the best way to start to implement it, whatever setting you're in is on your intake, even if it's an added part to the existing intake in your current practice is to just do a little, a little segment on how do you sleep? How do you eat? you know, what are your like relationships look like? If you felt comfortable doing that, um, what is your movement and exercise, which probably would be addressed anyway. So that's kind of an easy one. And then you can, so even when I worked in outpatient, I would just ask those questions. I never really liked intake forms. So I would just always go through that. I'd go through their, what are they there for their shoulder pain? So I'd go through all that. And then I would just quickly say like, you know, just give me an idea of higher eating, just very general. And they'd, Oh, I, you know, well, not too good. Or, you know, I'd get a, very quick idea of what they were, how they were eating. So then it would be an, a, night, a nice way for me to explore that further if I felt like I needed to go down that hole, not in that session, but maybe the next session. Or I could see like, oh, wow, they're under a lot of stress. So I could say like, how, you know, do you feel like you have a lot of stress in your life? Yeah, you know, I'm moving right now. I'm getting a divorce. Da, da, da. So of course, all of that plays into it. So if we don't ask the questions, then we're never going to know as therapists you know, how, why this is happening to this person. Most often it's most things are due to stress. (laughs) So whether that's, you might not be able to address that, but you could absolutely refer appropriately and you could at least acknowledge it as part of this person's, you know, history in this case. But I think that's such an easy way to start. And that's exactly what I did. 
before I went cash base. Right. And as you said, that gives you the option to open up a conversation and a dialogue about it. Mm -hmm. And over time, I think that's the kind of thing that it might feel uncomfortable at first, but you get better and better at it over, but the more you do it. Um, And the more you do it, the more you pick up on things, like instead of saying like, you know, okay, well, it seems like your weight is a part of your lower back pain. Mm -hmm. You say, Hey, you know, would you mind if we talk about your weight? Again, you shift the locus of control to the patient. So they Mm -hmm. are guiding and directing their own treatment instead of you just simply pointing and telling them what to do. Yep. Uh, I think it's a, and you don't have to do anything with the information. I would say for, for new therapists or, you know, someone that's just kind of starting in this case, they just started asking about this. You don't have to do anything with all the information. You could just take it in for a while. You could just say, like like you said, like just kind of start to hear certain patterns. You start to hear the same things, but then you, you get more confident and more comfortable. And then you could say, you know what? Like I would always write, and I still do this, I'd say next. And so my next session, I might write sleep, like address sleep. And so I would just do the whole session and then address, you know, Hey, I just want to give you some suggestions for you, for your sleep, but, or ask them more about it. And then I might say the next time, okay, I'm going to address whatever, you know, breathing I would do, I do with everyone. So, um, but it might be something else that I am trying to, to kind of sneak in a little bit and, and within scope of practice. So I actually just spoke to Newman uh, University on on this topic, and and I spoke at uh, NSCA on on a similar topic as well. So, you know, obviously it's all different professionals and different scopes of practice. But as you know, these questions are so basic. When you, I mean, they can be very complex <laughs> when you dive in. But what we're talking about right the second could be very basic. How do you eat? How do you sleep? How do you move? And so from a PT perspective, yes, you do need to be mindful of medical nutritional therapy. So that does delineate registered dietitian versus physical therapist. And so if you are giving basic nutrition advice and, you know, Hey, like eat your veggies or, (laughs) you know, make sure you get fiber in your diet, you know, just eat, drink half your body weight in ounces of water. Basic nutrition advice is all appropriate within our scope of practice. And I'm certified through the Institute of Functional Medicine. PTs are able to run, do that program. So, so you have, you know, every state is a little bit different. You have to make sure you're following your practice act. But to me, I feel like we are literally the provider of choice to be able to start to address this because these are the P- the patients that have been going to PTs forever and not getting better. And when you start to actually look at why they're not getting better, they get, of course, magically get better. You know, we had even just a patient, my colleague and I were working with together and he is, you know, pretty complex case, a lot of hip pain, neck pain, radicular pain down his arm. So she was working with him for a little bit. They made some headway, but he wasn't really getting better. It was just kind of like, you know, just kind of going doing the same thing. All right. Still hurts. So she said, you know, I think you should really see Ariane. So we started working together within weeks and addressed a lot of his gut issues and his inflammation. And he started to feel better quickly. Is he hundred percent? No. I mean, he's had a lot of complicated hip surgeries and things like that, but he's way better, less pain, able to exercise now. So that's kind of an example of like, if we can start to implement some version of this in a physical therapy, I feel like we, as we would be such like so much better providers than we are right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. And one of the other things I love to see in clinicians across any practice 
is when they practice what they preach. And I know that's something that you are very big on. So I'm curious, what are your favorite ways to, you know, eat healthy, be active, exercise, de-stress, that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. Yes, I am. I am definitely a practice what you preach person for (laughs) sure. I think I do it all. Uh, So I, I would say from an eating perspective, unfortunately, I've had a lot of gut issues to deal with. I, I had cancer six years ago now. And so really destroyed my, my GI system, my hormonal system. So I've been rebuilding for a long time. So I, my goal with eating is very, is very specific is that I want, I don't want cancer to come back. And if I got cancer again, I want to be strong and healthy enough to fight it. So it's very easy for me to eat healthy. <laughs> I would say I eat, we'll say like 98% healthy and, and a, you know, a little bit of time I'll might have a drinker here or there. I'll have some French fries, but for the most part, I want to feel good. And I want to, you know, try to obviously prevent things. So that's kind of my drive for that movement has been my entire life. It's just something I'm 100% obsessed with. (laughs) And I've just, I love learning new skills and exploring different movement disciplines and philosophies and just really kind of diving into them. So I've done a lot of different things. I'm into powerlifting right now, (laughs) uh, which has been awesome. Uh, But I've done, you know, steel maze, kettlebells, Indian clubs, I do Lyra, so aerial arts. So just all kinds of fun things. And from the other aspect, you know, I really, I've, I did my graduate work in mindfulness. So I've always, I feel like I've always been mindful, but I think, and I've meditated, but that for me really changed things and, and, um, just gave me a really different perspective on it. I don't think I, even though I was doing it, I don't know if I was necessarily just checking the box. And so now it's definitely become more of my life. Um, do a lot of nervous system regulation, a lot of vagus nerve work, a lot of breath work, uh, lymph drainage every day, <laughs> barefoot foot to core sequencing. Yeah. That kind of like, I just love it. I geek out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It keeps you busy. And I love how over time, it sounds like it's become a lot more purposeful of a practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of it. Yep. And I think the more that I learn, I, I always want to, well, just going back to the practice, what you preach if I'm going to help someone with somebody help someone with something, then I want to make sure that I've experienced it myself. So I'm not going to suggest an exercise that I haven't done numerous times. Definitely. <laughs> I just don't, you know, I know not everyone believes that, but I am a really, really strong believer in that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Recently, I was having a conversation with Derek Millander. He's the head strength coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he made this suggestion and he suggested, you know, next time you talk with someone, uh, someone like you, he said, ask them, what did they have to give up in order to get where they are today? Because in order to be successful at anything, whether it's human movement, nutrition, business, or just obtaining the amount of degrees and certifications that someone like you has had, you have to give something up along the way. There's an opportunity cost. So I'm curious, what have you yeah. had to give up in order to get to the point you're at now? That's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> I, I think, not that I'm proud of this, but I, but I will say it. I think that probably friend time. I think, I think I've always been very career driven and very purpose driven. I mean, my, since I was 22. So 
I, yes, I've, I, I've always wanted to learn new things. It's like the certification for me, isn't necessarily the thing. It's more just the process of learning something that I'm, that's the part that I do love <laughs> and I obsess over. It's not so much the actual test or competition, even though I've done a lot of those. <laughs> um, so I think that I would say that's it. Like if I were to look back on my life, I'd say, I don't have any regrets, but I think to answer that question, I think that's probably what I gave up a little bit. Right. Not I so can, much family, but friends. I can certainly relate to that as, you know, different times through PT school. I see people going out every weekend and I'm just mm. like, you know what? Instead of dropping $50 at the bar, I'm going to buy a new podcast microphone. <laughs> Priorities. Right. Right. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Like I said, not proud of it, but that's it. It's an honest answer. <laughs> right. Right. No, I feel you there. This has been an amazing episode, Dr. Missimer. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks that you really want people to take away from our discussion? Yes, I think just whoever's listening, whether you're a strength coach, you're a PT or Cairo, anywhere in the health field, I think just if you're not implementing some version of a functional medicine model, I think this could be a really, really great starting point and just keep it super simple. I, when I tell my strength coaches like, Hey, just ask about these things, just ask how they're eating, sleeping, you know, what are they doing in their free time? And I think you'll just, it'll evolve naturally without it being overwhelming. And if you're already doing it, then I would just try to keep taking it a step further and further and, and diving into, you know, who is your referral team? Like who is the team that's going to help you help support you and your patients, clients, and athletes? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I love that advice. And for people who want to find out more about you and your practice and all the amazing things that you're doing, how can people keep up to date with you? I would say uh, social media, the movement paradigm. So Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all those. And then you can, of course, see our website, themovementparadigm.com. Awesome. I'll link to all of those below. So if you didn't quite catch them, you can just click there and find out more about Ariane and, doc and uh, the movement paradigm. Dr. Mismer, thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.